Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 17, and it can be found on page 4 in the Church Bibles. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold in that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. <coughs> the name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. thank you so very much, Joe. So um, often when you arrive, I sort of, um, everyone's taking a seat and they're praying, we're singing. I'll often just jot down a note, a thought. And I wrote this just uh, probably, I don't know, 15 minutes ago. I think I just should read it, actually. Um, A model of humility from Justin this morning. I thought he might have been wearing a South African rugby shirt. (laughs) What can I say? There we go. Well, look, it's, it's lovely to see you all. Thank you very much. Let me just add my welcome to that of Justin's from earlier. Let me just say, look, thank you, uh, church family, for taking the time to review um, your giving. Uh, that's uh, much appreciated. I'm mindful it's been half term, so there is still time to respond if you would like to. And if that's the case, then um, it'd be great if you could do so before the end of today. Well, why don't we just still our hearts and be quiet? before we look at God's word together. Father, we thank you very much for the privilege of your word. And we ask this morning that you would speak to us through it in your name. Amen. Now, I was reading an article uh, the other day about finding meaning in work, and it pointed out that we will spend an average of some 80,000 hours in work during our careers 
That's more time probably than we'll spend with our children. And the gist of the article is that we need to find some meaning in our job, but also that we get bored very quickly. It's sad, isn't it, to walk through life and experience work as empty, dreadful, a chore, sapping energy from our body and our souls. And yet, many employees do, as evidenced by one large-scale study showing that only 31% of employees enjoyed work. Now, work for many can become a, a dangerous place, leaving us filled with stress and apprehension and even anger. But that is not God's plan for work. It is instead that we should be a blessing to our work and be blessed in return. You see, work in God's design is meant to be good for us, actually. Meant to be good for us mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That is God's divine purpose. That is God's good gift of work. Now, in these past few weeks, we have seen that God enters into a very special relationship with Adam and Eve. He pours out upon them blessing after blessing. God is, in every sense, a parent to Adam and Eve. He is their father. And as with every parent-child relationship, there are great privileges, as we saw last week, but there are also great responsibilities. As Exodus chapter 20 reminds us, we are to honor our father and mother, both our human parents, but also our heavenly father. And we saw last week, didn't we, from these very same verses that Joe read to us, we saw last week something of the, the joys of being human, how God has given us the gift of life has lavished us again and again with his kindness. And as worshippers, we have true freedom in Christ. But this morning, we're going to focus in on the responsibilities of being human, or more specifically, the responsibility that God gives Adam and Eve to work. Now, I should just say at this point that really, I'm just going to give you an introduction this morning, and then we're going to come. We've got a seminar this week that's led by um, Rob and Paula, and they're going to sort of do more of the sort of deep textual work. But um, let me just begin then by looking at work as ordained. And let me mention just two or three things. So take a look there at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So first of all, what we notice here is that work is part of God's original design. It's part of his original pattern. He establishes work as a, as a norm of humanity. It's sort of baked into creation as a, as a normal part of life for human beings. God took Adam and Eve and he put them in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And we saw last week, didn't we, that they are to do this as worshippers, as priests, placed in the garden, and through their work for the Lord to mediate blessing to the whole world. And this in instruction here reminds us of what we've already learned in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, that one of the, the patterns that God established for people at the very beginning was that they would have to work. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, we read there, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Work the land, cultivate it. 
Now, I just want us to, to think about this for a moment. Now, if it was if it to be to be a garden, you know, I mean, many people here who are who are gardeners, and to be a garden, it clearly had to have defined boundaries. And one imagines a lot of sort of uncultivated land beyond the the, the, the garden boundaries. And the expectation we see here from God is that the people, uh, as they, 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 fill, they fill up the space, as it were, as, as people had children, and, and they would extend the boundaries of the garden, or if you like, if they would extend the boundaries of God's temple sanctuary across the face of the earth. The garden would gradually expand across the earth, cultivating the land as they went, subduing it as they went. And so, and this is really quite important, this is almost like a, a key principle here, and so by their work, the people of God would extend the kingdom of God. And in these uh, last couple of weeks, I have to say, as I've been re- working this and thinking about it, I've been wondering how Adam and Eve knew what to do in the garden. Has that crossed your mind? You know, they couldn't just sort of switch on the TV and catch up with Monty Don and Gardner's World, could they? Clearly, we've seen here that God is a gifted gardener. He gives them a cultivated piece of, piece of land. And I realize, I know, we're in the realms of, of speculation, but I do wonder if among the, the many things that he was talking with Adam and Eve about when he walked with them in the cool of the day was gardening. You know, I genuinely wonder if he was passing on gardening tips. Now, another thing worth pointing out is that it really shouldn't surprise us that we are expected to work. We are, after all, made in God's image, and as God is a worker, a worker, if you remember, who took a rest after six days of work, after finishing the work of creation. And so, what kind of work do we see God doing? Well, if you just flip back to chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, there, we'll see that uh, the kind of work we see there is a huge variety. So, chapter 1, verse 1, we notice there that God creates. God makes things. Verse 3, God speaks. He works with words. Verse 4, God examines, doesn't he, and evaluates. He sees that the light is good. There's organization, there's ordering, there's arranging. As he separates light and dark, water above and below. Verse 5, God names. Includes naming, you know, it includes, doesn't it, if you're going to name something, it includes assessing something and attributing a name that is appropriate to it. He creates with variety, verse 11. Now the vegetation as seed-bearing plants and trees. You know, his work involves delivering what is needed for humanity. Verse 14, the lights, the sun and the moon, they serve as signs to mark the days and and the seasons. Day five, essentially, he enables the capacity for people to flourish. And then day six, we see God deliberating as he makes people and then he delegates as he commissions humanity to rule over the world on his behalf. Can you see this? Lots of working. We've got making, organizing. Arranging, planning, enabling. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we even see that God gets his hands dirty. He makes Adam from the dust and he carries out the surgery uh, to make Eve himself. So God works and therefore we are to work as well. And in a sense, I was thinking about this this week, in a sense, chapter 1 verse 28, we're given the sort of first job description of people. Yep. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish, the birds, and every living thing. That's the general job description. And that gets turned into personal objectives for Adam and Eve in chapter 2. God sets them in the garden, 2 verse 15, to work it and take care of it. 
to work the ground and cultivate it and keep it in order. So we see then that we are to, to work. We are to work as we image our Creator, as we reflect God, who is a worker. Another thing to, to note, if we may, is that there is dignity in work. See, in and of itself, work is good. We see here that work is from the hand of God, and all that comes from God is good. And notice it's pre-fall work. And when God creates paradise, paradise is not Adam and Eve on a beach, you know, sipping pina coladas, being waited on hand and foot. Paradise is meaningful employment. It's working in the garden for the owner of the garden. Now, in my time working in London, I met uh, many people whose sole goal in life was to work like crazy until they were at Jamal was around 40. Sometimes it went later than 40, maybe sometimes into their early 50s. But essentially, their goal was to make loads of money and then simply retire, stop. And I've seen this, this played out with a, a number of people I've known uh, over, over the years. And invariably, it leads actually to quite an unfulfilled midlife crisis. You see, there's only so many cruises you can go on. And surely as Christians, our aim cannot be to get to a point where we don't work. That's not to say that we don't take retirement from our day job when it's offered. But it cannot mean wall-to-wall leisure. Even in retirement, we need, don't we, purposeful activity, serving others, volunteering, using our time well. We're created to work. It's part of our dignity. We need work. It's not just some sort of necessary evil. It's a God-designed, glorious privilege that reflects the fact that we were made in his image. And let's be honest. When we can't work, it's difficult. Perhaps illness prevents it. Perhaps we can't find work. And that's hard. And a number of us will have gone through that experience. And if we know of people who are in that space, then it's really important that we gather around them and love them and care for them and support them through that. And it's important to say this morning that when we're talking about work here, it doesn't mean paid work. You know, one of the most valuable works of all taking place day in, day out, week in, week out, is the vital task of bringing up children and working in the home. Another is looking after elderly relatives. Or still, there are other ways of, of serving the community in an unpaid capacity, often unseen sacrificial work. And let me just add just one final thought or one further thought under this point. You know, it's not a bad thing to, to look for work that suits our gifts, that we're capable of and, and interested in. But let's be careful not to look to be fulfilled solely by our work. Worker's dignity, we've pointed that out. But not because it fulfills us in and of itself, but because work fulfills God's calling on our lives. Sometimes, you know, we get fed up, don't we, with the particular problems in our particular job. Or it doesn't feel very satisfying, and we draw the conclusion, if I don't feel fulfilled in my work, then I should make a change. Maybe. Maybe not. 
You know that there are challenges and difficulties with work. We'll come to that in a moment. But the value of work, the significance of work is not found in whether I'm fulfilled. The value of work is found in reflecting his image. It may be this morning that you find yourselves in a tricky situation. It's frustrating. Your workplace is driving you mad. And you're asking the question, well, should I change my job? And I guess I was thinking about this. I guess, I guess this is the sort of litmus test we might want to be asking. It's not whether I'm fulfilled in my job. It's whether or not I'm called to my job. That was the longest point by Miles. We see then work as ordained. Notice also, secondly, that work as worship. Look again with you at chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now we saw, didn't we, last week that that word pair, Abad and Shema, translated as work it and take care of it, occur at least on five other occasions to describe the work of priests in the temple and tabernacle. And we saw that the, that this, the, so the work and taking care of the garden was maintaining and cultivating this garden temple. Eden is a, is a sort of temple where the Lord God would come and meet with his people, didn't he? That's what God came and met with his people in the temple. They worked, as it were, within the precincts of the temple garden, maintaining and caring for the temple as priests, as worshippers. So if you think about this, for Adam and Eve, worshipping God and working are connected tightly together. It wasn't that Adam worked and then when he'd finished work for the day, then he could worship. His work was absolutely integral to his work, to his worship. His work, in fact, was his worship. And that is still the case today. Now, if you've got, uh, you've got your Bibles, if you just turn very quickly, if you don't mind, to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 22 to 25. If you don't have your Bibles, then listen very carefully. And I want you to, as I read this, I want you to notice how much Paul sets the work of slaves in the context of this is for the Lord. Let me read this. Verse 22 of chapter 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Paul really wants us to see here that it's not that we work and then we worship. It's that our work is our worship. God does not sort of leave us at the door of the office as we walk into it. It's not as, you know, we sort of, you know, we log on to a, a Zoom meeting and suddenly, you know, God's not present in the room. It doesn't say to us, you know, I'm, I'm interested in your prayer diary, but I'm really not that interested in the IT development project that you're working on. You see, our work, as we see there in Colossians, is before God and for his honor and glory. This is actually one of the, the big truths that came back to light at the Reformation, that there are not spiritual vocations and secular ones. There's not sacred work and secular work. It's the priesthood of all believers. Now, some of you may know that I spent a lot of my working life uh, working as a, as a lawyer. And I was in and out of court. And now, of course, I work here 
in church. But it's not that God is now happy with me because I'm working here in church. No, one was for one season of life and another was for another season of life. And both can be for his pleasure. Now, one way to put it is that I'm in full-time church work, but all of us are in full-time Christian work. All of us are serving Christ in our different situations. Now, I serve Christ no more now than I did working as a solicitor for 11 years. God can be worshipped, you see, in our household chores, our photocopying, our policy writing, our teaching, our serving customers, our driving, our caring for patients, our software developing, our project management, our caring for the vulnerable. Let me just uh, give you a little bit of Martin Luther on this. Luther was approached by a working man who wanted to know how he could serve God. And Luther asked him, what is your work now? And the man said, I'm a shoemaker. To the man's surprise, Luther replied, then make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. Someone has said that Luther didn't tell the man to make Christian shoes. Now, I dread to think what they would be like. (laughs) And probably wearing them. (laughs) He didn't tell the man to, to leave his shoe business and go and become a monk like him. He said simply, make good shoes. And that's our calling, make good shoes or manage staff well or write good emails, provide excellent customer service, write a good dissertation, do your homework well. So we've seen then workers ordained, workers as worship, but now I guess it's time, isn't it, for a reality check as we think about work as toil. And I'm not talking about time off in lieu, but work as a pain. We also need to be honest, don't we, about the struggle of work. And you know, work often feels anything, doesn't it, but, but, but significant. More like frustrating, futile, fruitless. You know, sometimes the last thing we want to do, particularly if we've had a half-term break, is to get to, to Monday morning or whenever the working week kicks off for us. But you know, the good news this morning is that the Bible is realistic about that and gives us the reason for it. You see, everything's looking really rosy and good in Genesis chapter 2. And everything's looking good for, for Adam and Eve. They've got a great job. They've got all the resources that they need, and they've got a generous boss. But we need to fast forward slightly, though, into Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, if you, if you don't know this, it tells the story of humanity's rebellion against God. It's people crossing boundaries, doing what God has said not to do, breaching trust. And as humanity falls, they drag creation down with them. It's catastrophic what happens in chapter 3. And here's the result of that. Verse 17 of chapter 3. Let me read this. God says to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. See, Adam and Eve will still work. There'll still be food. But instead of the creation working with them, it will fight against them. Thorns and thistles. Work at this moment becomes difficult. 
I want you to just think, just for a moment, I want you to list in your mind the top three challenges about your daily work. Paid work, schoolwork, home, university, whatever it is. Top three challenges. What are they? I don't think you need very long, do you? Because you know them. They spring to mind. Deadline problems. Too much to do, not enough time. People problems. Colleagues, customers, your line manager. Technology problems. Why is it the internet always goes down at that moment? Competency problems. You feel out of your depth. Limited support from your boss. Not enough training. Perhaps your work is painful. Now, I'm mindful that many of you work in the world of medicine. For some of you, life and death are part of your daily work schedule. It's hard on a whole different level. See, work isn't as God designed it to be originally. It should be a delight, but it's become difficult. Thorns and thistles. See, one of the curses of the fall was that work becomes toilsome. God cursed the ground and said that thorns and thistles would frustrate our efforts. And work at that point became a compulsory act of survival. And if you are this morning one of those rare people that finds a career that fits your calling, that is a blessing, but not necessarily a right. So let me conclude then with one Final thought, and maybe it's the most important point I have to make this morning. Let us work as working for the Lord. Now look, in the light of God's design for work, his desire to be worshipped in our work, but the difficulties that we face, how do we redeem work? Now in Western culture, work is actually an end in and of itself because we are an individualistic culture. And that means from when we were little, when we were very little, we were told in a, in a hundred different ways that we can be anything we want. You just have to decide what you want to be and then be it. And so what we do is we, we sort of get our self-worth from our work. It's our work. You know, I have done this, I've done that. I, I've made a profit for my firm. I'm a top executive. I'm a, I'm a consultant. Success at work becomes our identity and as a result, we can get enslaved by it. If we are successful, it can go to our heads. But if we're a failure, it can go to our hearts. See, if work is our identity and we are successful, it can destroy us because it makes us full of ourselves. But if work is our identity and we are not successful, it can destroy us by going to our heart makes us feel depressed and we lose perspective. You see, our whole worth is bound up in our work and when it goes wrong, we feel like a failure in all areas of life. It's disproportionate. We lose perspective, so our whole life gets distorted. You see, the lesson here is that we need to have a deep identity, a deep certainty of our worth. We need to have a deep sense of our worth grounded in something that is not in our performance, not in our work. It has to be in Christ. Now, we live this side of, of the cross. And Jesus is the one who redeems us from the toil and frustration of work. 
Jesus redeems us from the, the meaningless world described in Genesis chapter 3 by subjecting himself to it. Hanging on the cross, Jesus experienced the frustration of this world under curse. And in this way, work is redeemed and is given new significance. And so work now, today, it's more than just about putting food on the table. It's about being the, the teacher you would have, would have been if the fall had not taken place. It's about doing your work to the best of your ability. And as we do so, in this sense, we are participating in the Lord's Prayer. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By our work, you are extending, we are extending God's kingdom on earth, extending his glory. And through the work of Christ on the cross, work is given real purpose. See, being a lawyer now is more than striving for justice or representing your clients. Being a carer is more than meeting people's needs. It's about extending God's kingdom into the workplace in the way that we do our job. Doing it to the glory of God. And by so doing, we are a witness to the creator and his plans to restore this broken world. You see, we now work, brother and sister, as redeemed people. We work to the glory of God. Our goal is not to honor ourselves, but to honor our Father. We know that the world and indeed the workplace is broken by sin. But as God is changing you and me for good, so we can make a difference in our workplace. And we now work for a future reward, for a future inheritance from the Lord, as we read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 24. Now, our current work, it may or may not pay well. It might not pay anything. It may or may not offer much job satisfaction. But that does not mean that our efforts go unnoticed or undervalued by our God. This is a future reward. See, the point is, is that God notices everything and nothing gets lost and forgotten. So our work will not be ultimately undervalued and nothing gets lost and forgotten. Our work will not be ultimately undervalued. In fact, in God's kindness, we get an inheritance, a reward that we don't deserve, far above what we merit. You see, well, the Lord treasures up what we do. You might be feeling, even this morning, overlooked, underpraised, taken advantage of even in your work context. But there is nothing wasted or lost so our work, whether it's web design or washing laundry, you know, whatever we're called to do this week, let us remember that it's for him. It can be from our heart as we love him and love others. And let's remember that it's valued by him. And ultimately, we may not find that fulfillment that we long to in our work, but in the gospel, we learn that our work is a gift from God. And through it, we can find genuine satisfaction and bring glory to him. So as we conclude, let us pray and give thanks for the ability that we have to serve him in the route and the place that he has called us. Whatever it may be, 
Let us see that that is a gift and that is a privilege. And let us strive as we go into this week to do it not for ourselves, but to do it for his honor and his glory. Amen. Well, let's just be still for a moment as the musos come back. Father, we thank you so very much that we are made in your image. We thank you for the gospel story. We thank you that though, in one sense, disaster struck in Genesis chapter 3, we thank you through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, order was restored. And so we pray, Lord, as we go into this week, that you would give us a rejuvenated sense that our work primarily is not necessarily for our boss or for others around us. It's principally for you. And let us do it for your honor and your glory, we ask in your name. Amen.